week, Swinging Stocks acknowledges the traditional custodians of Australia's lands, skies and waterways and pays respects to elders past, present and emerging. This podcast is brought to you by SelfWealth and operates under AFSL number 421789 as general advice only. Because we can't take into account your personal objectives or financial situation, you should seek independent professional financial advice before making any investment decision. For more information and our financial disclosure statement, check the show notes. I was a massive underachiever in high school. I wasn't the sharpest kid. I wanted something immediately. They made a net $200,000 loss on the project. Your listeners are probably wondering how many smashed avocado meals that is. My ego and insecurity, they were trolling and it just went too far. And if you're not that, you're unsuccessful, you're an outcast. So that was a really dark time within our family. Trust the process, be disciplined and you'll get there. When you think of the great Australian success story, you think of bootstrapping, property, and maybe even old white men with intergenerational wealth and connections. Well, that isn't quite the tale we have for you today. Welcome back to our most popular series thus far, Zero to 100K, the series that goes behind the extraordinary numbers to tell you real people's real journeys to build their wealth. When I met Rubes and his wife randomly on holidays, I never imagined he'd tell me one of the most impressive stories about wealth building that I'd ever heard. So I wanted to get him and his business partner and brother, Mish, on the pod to share with you all the different shapes that wealth generation can take. Now they're directors of Linkers Group, a multi-service line financial services and construction business. It is a journey of immigration to Australia, trials and tribulations, and I think a story that deserves to be heard. Welcome to the podcast, gentlemen. It is a pleasure to have you here. Thanks so much. Thanks, Alex. That was an amazing introduction. Oh, that's all right. I read it myself. <laughs> <laughs> so we always kick off with a question around what your first investing memory was, like the kind of memory that shapes your early childhood years. And I'll start with you, Mish. What comes to mind? Me and my brother were discussing this last night. Um, you know, when we were kids, we would, didn't really grow up around wealth or a lot of um, people in our community who you know, made a killing investing or had really high paying jobs and they're investing somewhere. So we didn't really see a lot of like, we didn't really see a lot of like people make a lot of money through investing. So I think we discovered it much more in our later years. Um, me, for example, I was a massive underachiever in high school. Um, I was doing engineering at UTS and just failing subject after subject, had no direction in my life whatsoever. Um, I was working at Krispy Kreme Donuts and I gained 20 kilos in like eight months. Um, so just super directionless, but pretty happy at Krispy Kreme. Um, and then one day, um, I met a builder who was driving a Nissan GTR and I love my cars and I was just like shocked. I was like, dude, what do you do for a living? And then he explained to me that he's a builder and he invests and stuff. And, um, yeah, it just really all started from there when I got inspiration from a guy who drove a really nice car. So it was sort of the aspirational wealth that sold it to you, actually seeing someone with yeah, the life just, you wanted. it was very superficial. It was just a nice car with a loud exhaust and I'm like, yeah. You're like, that's the one. That's it. <laughs> what about you, Rubes? Um, For me, it, I mean, it's similar to Mish in terms of um, I'll probably – give a bit more context. Obviously, Alex, you probably um, know that parents migrated here in 1994. Um, we moved to a little suburb called uh, Hillsdale. And, you know, your standard immigrant story, um, mum and dad came here in 94 with two suitcases. 
with about 1100 bucks with me and my brother. Um, growing up around there, again, there wasn't much inspiration. There wasn't much to look up to, but I am thankful for, I guess, the lessons I learned um, growing up in that time. Mum and dad were very um, open and transparent uh, with the little money they had. Um, they were very open and transparent about the tools and techniques and the methodology they used to stretch that money as, as far as they can go. Um, and fast forwarding that, I guess I didn't start as a lot of the other guests, I guess started, you know, in the 14, 15, um, similar to my brother, the journey started probably in the early twenties. Um, mom, mom always, she distilled the fact that, you know, you have to be very smart with your money. Uh, you have to be aware of how hard it is to actually earn a dollar in Sydney. So when, when I was a teenager, um, about 18, 19 years old, a lot of my friends were going out, saving up for a car, going to the city, hitting up bars and things like that. Mum and dad was saying, nope, work, save, do the long run, you know, um, this will, this will, this will benefit you, um, not now, but you won't see it, but, you know, trust the process and keep going. And I half understood it, half didn't because, you know, I was just going to uni, working, saving. And I, I, I wanted something immediately and mm. I didn't see the benefits, but. Yeah, we've all been there. I guess, yeah. And later on, I think around 20, 2012, so it would have been about 23, 24. Um, I had about, I think I had about 5%, uh, 6% in the bank account for a small uh, home and land package, uh, single story brick finney home in Southwest Sydney. And, uh, I was speaking to my parents and they said, yeah, you should, you should go for this. This is, this will really set up that momentum. Um, and this will really leap you forward. So 2012, I invested in a single story brick finney home in Southwest Sydney and that really paid dividends. Why didn't you um, tell the viewers how you used part of that money to as a house deposit? Oh, sorry, car deposit. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so after <laughs> I did. This is why it's very I helpful to have your place, brother on the podcast. <laughs> yeah. After I, there was good good gains made. Um, I did sell that, I think, in 2014, Mish, or 2015. And part of the profits um, I got, I put a deposit towards the car. So. To answer your question in terms of what's the, the earliest investing memory would be that house and what was some mm. of the worst investment decision is pulling that some of that profit out and investing in a car that I wasn't ready for and I was just using my ego and insecurity and prove to myself, yep, you can afford something nice, but that was very silly, mm. very rational. But we can't all it can't all be a linear, you know, right decision at every turn mm. journey. I mean, that just would, you wouldn't be human. Yeah. What about you, Mish? What was your best and worst investment or just financial decision even? Um, so my best investment decision would have probably been a few years ago when the market was a bit down post like um, banking Royal Commission. So obviously given that we're in the property sector, all of our investments are in property. Um, so, you know, that's our bread and butter. So, there's a lot of areas in Southwest Sydney where our office is. That's um, a lot of existing housing commission um, and New South Wales government's uh, development arm, which is Landcom, do a lot of like land releases. So they essentially 
demo a lot of the existing homes and just release land and you know hope to promote that suburb and get investors and people in there and just change the face of the suburb and make it look a lot more newer than what it is at the moment so this particular one was in a suburb called Bradbury um, quite a notorious housing commission area there's a like a juvenile detention center nearby um, not the best reputation and all that stuff so they were really struggling to sell the land and they were just giving insane government um, rebates. I remember they were giving like forty, fifty, sixty thousand dollar rebates. Um, so we jumped on that quite heavily. Um, I think across our company and like me and my brother and our parents, we bought like um, five, six or seven lots. Um, that proved to be really beneficial because as we acquired them, we were also struggling to sell them off the plan a little bit. But I remember the week that the um, home builder grant got announced in one week, literally everything we had got sold, the stock got sold. Um, so we saw a real shift in the market as soon as the home build grant came out. Um, and because we had acquired those lots were so cheap, the market was just peaking now. Um, that was probably the best investment I've done so far. Um, given also we are licensed builders, so we build it ourselves. So we have margin in the land, the resale, the construction. So, yeah, I think like um, gross return on investment for that one would have probably been like 40%. That's what we call vertical integration. That's amazing. That's <laughs> wow. Okay, so yeah. now you have to tell me 40% margin. That's that's sick. All right, tell me your worst yeah. financial choice. Um, I haven't had much really bad financial choices. Oh, this is like, I'm just a pro. <laughs> I'm just- Mate. Yeah, sadly, <laughs> I was just I was I was born pretty perfect, so it's hard for me to say that. No, but um, me personally, in terms of like investing, um, because mm-hmm. we're in the industry, you know, we run real estate agency, we run yeah. mortgage broking agency, we run a construction agency. So properties, like you know, I know like the back of my hand, it's like bread and butter. So mm. um, you know, knock on wood, yet we haven't made a really bad investment. Mm. I'm sure there will be many to come in the future, but um. My parents actually bought um, around the same time as my brother's first investment that he just mentioned. Um, and I saw in front of my own eyes, um, they made a net $200,000 loss on that project. And that's just when we started our Linkers real estate, our first business. Um, so that was a really dark time uh, within our family because they just lost $200,000 because they had a huge contractual dispute with the builder. Um, I won't obviously name names of who the builder was, but it was one of the big builders and, um, yeah, it got taken to like court and things like that. And the barrister they hired, he charged like five or 10 grand for the day. He came late and then the, I think the tribunal member or the judge, whatever it was, absolutely grilled him. Um, nothing was going, going according to plan. I remember on the same day they were driving back and they they had one investment property. The tenant was like so far behind in rent and they just discovered that she'd abandoned the property and this is when we just started linkers as well so it was just you know when it rains it pours um but that that investment they were meant to they were on track to make quite a bit of money but because of a contractual dispute with the builder which just blew up they yeah they posted a net loss of about two hundred thousand. gosh highs and lows for sure yeah, and I thought that, you know, when we, the story of when my parents first came to Australia, 
the struggles that they endured. I thought that a lot of that would have been over, but around that time, which was around the 2012, 2013 time, when they went through that loss, um, it was almost like we just, that financial situation of when we first came to Australia again. I remember they, uh, uh, to bail themselves out, they refinanced their um, property with like a private bank, um, like 10.5% interest, um, loan term of six months. Oh. And it was very aggressively structured to the point where if you can't repay in six months, they'll repossess straight away. Um, I remember I was going out with my friends to the movies once and well, I'm an idiot. When I used to work at Krispy Kreme Donuts, um, it was in Auburn and I lived in um, Ingleburn. So half of my travel time, like half my salary was gone to my travel time. But I just didn't realize that in my head because I had like no financial education whatsoever. So I remember asking my mum, hey, mum, I'm going to the movies. Um, can I borrow like 20 bucks? And she gave me two separate cards. She's like, all right, so this one has $14 in it and this one has $6 in it. Um, so that memory probably really sticks out because um, I was probably 18 at the time. And I'm like, all right, I really have to get my things together and really find a way to make money and um, not you know, rely on my parents who are obviously going through quite a difficult time. So that was quite a life-changing experience for me. That that would that would stick with you, I think, um, especially that realisation at such a young age that your parents are not infallible and that you're probably having to be responsible for your own journey a lot younger. But I think that there's a really interesting generational question there that I'd love to ask both of you in turn. Do you think it's easier for our generation to build wealth? I'll go back to property. Mm. Um, I think it's much, much harder for people in our generation or younger people to acquire wealth through property. I, I Honestly, like so many people I talk to my age who are not privileged enough to be in the position I am or who are trying to get into the market, it's so difficult for them to obtain a property or just get an investment property or they've seen all these videos or read all these books of how to invest and make money through real estate but to actually invest in real estate it's so bloody difficult um you know the recent falling interest rates have filled the boom um allowing people to borrow more and bid up prices and just the way our financial system is it allows people to use equity to upsize or invest further um which allowed like the housing market to depart from income growth and supply of new homes hasn't kept up with demand. And just in the March quarter alone, March 2022, the median house price of Sydney is 1.24 million. Now I know a lot of people might say, you know, a median house price isn't an accurate reflection because um, you can invest in like different areas and things like that. But 1.24 million is pretty insane. And I know your listeners are probably wondering how many smashed avocado meals that is. That's 62,250 smashed avocado meals. Um, so that's a lot. Um, and, you know, wages hasn't kept up with the growth of like property and inflation and things like that. Um, house prices from September 20 to 21, according to CoreLogic, increased 21.7% and wages increased 2.2%. So I really think it's very difficult for young people to get into the market. Um, there's obviously a lot of government grants and things like that, like um, 95% loans, no LMI. So they are trying their best to try and boost um, first-time buyers into the market as much as they can. Um, but even like when my parents were purchasing property like back then, you could um, still live within Sydney, but 
buy a house in like, you know, um, lower socioeconomic areas. Like we grew up in Blacktown, so Blacktown was just one of the suburbs that my parents found affordable. Um, but even now, if you're looking to get into a market and you only have like, you know, like $600,000, you've saved up $60,000, like you almost have to go outside of Sydney to like regional areas to buy a house. So I think, yes, interest rates were extremely higher back then um, during like my parents' generation, things like that. But I genuinely think that it's much, much harder for younger people to acquire wealth through property nowadays. And what would you say, Rubes? Do you think property might be inaccessible, but there's still other streams available? Yeah. Um, I'd Carrying on what Mish said, I definitely would agree uh, on what he said. And I guess even the not, if you look at the data and the more technical things aside, just in terms of the culture in which we were at, I think the, the pressure in order to, the pressure to succeed, the, the pressure to make it, the pressure to have a side hustle, the pressure to talk about your net worth and talk about this and that. It's just so much more and it's, it's so much more fast paced now as if, you know, when you speak to someone, you have to show that you've made it. And I think that's, that's something that some of the generations before, I think, probably didn't face as much, and especially with the prevalence of technology and all the platforms that we use. It's so much more easier to showcase what you have and what you don't have. So I would definitely agree with Mish. And listening to some of your old um, episodes um, in terms of who had it tougher, um, the boomers or the millennials, I would definitely agree with in terms of access to information, access to platform, access to support, um, I guess the generations, the current generation probably can leverage that more. But in terms of um, just the sheer stats in terms of, you know, the average household, the average household prices and the wages and the ratios and disparities back then, it was a lot more manageable, I guess, versus now. So mm. definitely harder now, I'd say. But with that being said, I want to talk a little bit about your journey rather than kind of the average, you know, the statistics can be a little bit doom and gloom, but I think your story is one that is really, really inspirational, especially because your family only came to Australia about 36 years ago. And in that time, Mish, you've talked about some of those really, really difficult times, but let's let's explore the zero to 100K journey for you, Rubes, if you want to start. Yep. What did that yep. look like for you and your brother? Mm-hmm. In terms of... Uh one of the things I definitely want to point out uh, in terms of I was lucky that my parents were present in our lives. I was lucky that our parents were healthy and I was lucky that our parents were together. I think a lot of people um, don't acknowledge those privileges. So we got lucky in those kind of things. Um, my parents were quite different in terms of the things that they valued. Uh, most brown families would uh, just pursue education, be a doctor, be a lawyer, be an engineer. And if you're not that, you're unsuccessful, you're an outcast, you're, you're shunned out. Whereas my parents, they put more emphasis on discipline and consistency and sincerity and thinking outside the box, going against the grain, um, not caring what other people think and having family values more important. Those things really helped me develop patience and seeing the bigger picture. 
especially when I started the journey when I was uh, working in, say, uh, for example, Dick Smith Electronics, which doesn't exist anymore, which kind of shows my age as well a little bit. Um, <laughs> I was um, Bachelor of Science at UTS, uh, full-time student, working as many hours as I could and pretty much saving everything I could um, for a deposit in the house because I knew that I just, I wasn't the sharpest kid. I wasn't the most naturally brilliant student. You know, I wasn't destined to get 99 UAIs. I wasn't destined to get into medicine and law. So I, I had to do something different. I had to have a different angle. And I truly believed that. And one of the other things I always told myself um, when I was a kid, I always used to ask my dad that, dad, do you think I will be well off in my thirties? My dad will always say that trust the process, be disciplined. And you'll get there. It might take a bit longer. You might get impatient, but you'll get there. And Mm. I really needed that because because my confidence was purely based on how well I'm doing in school and because my grades weren't as strong. My confidence in my teenage years, in my young adult life wasn't strong. So I needed to attack the game in a different angle. And I was fortunate enough to get good advice and I think the discipline my parents had really distilled in me and um, working and saving and that example that Mish gave in terms of taking that leap of faith and investing um, everything I had in that um, project in Southwest Sydney. Mm. And after seeing the returns really gave me the confidence that I'm actually good at something. I can make this work. And that really gave me the confidence and momentum. That really helped me. And since then, I haven't looked back. That's such a... I like the consistency piece because I think we're such an instant gratification generation that that's perhaps one of the most difficult things. But what about you, Mish? What was the what was the journey for you from zero to one hundred? Zero to one hundred came for me in one investment. So I was doing engineering at UTS, mechanical engineering, failing most subjects. Um, I wanted to work in Formula One back then, so. All of my time was spent. Um, there's like this um, student formula association in most universities across Australia. We used to call it FSAE before. So you'd essentially design a race car and then race it once a year in Melbourne. And like all these universities just come down, like Tokyo University, University of Dubai, Pakistan, Germany, all that stuff. Um, so I was just doing that most of the time and not really studying. And then I had to take a hard reality pill one day where I'm like, I'm probably not willing to put in the work <clears throat> and what it takes to make it into Formula One as an engineer. Um, and then when we started the real estate business, I was super insecure about the job because um, mostly everyone I grew around with, grew up with, saw real estate agents as like used car salesmen. So I remember like as I was doing like my courses during my university lectures, um, one of my friends was like, what are you doing? I'm like, oh, dude. So I'm like, and so I'm like, oh, dude, so I'm trying to get my real estate license and we're going to start a company and it's going to be a family business, blah, blah. And they just sort of just laughed in my face. So I'm like, all right, so that's probably where I started growing a chip on my shoulder. Um, and then the story I said earlier, when I saw that builder with a nice car, I was like, okay, so property's the way to go. So again, um, it was a Landcom development in Southwest Sydney, a suburb called Minto. And there was a lot of existing housing commission properties and Minto was just notorious for back in the day, especially if you're a brown guy, you just get mugged there straight away. Um, 
So we were, we, they were selling a lot of land there, but back then it was very different to acquire the land. What you'd have to do is they'd send out an email to all the registered buyers saying, um, land is now available, first in, first served. So remember I was at, um, I was at uni and my dad calls me and he's like, get here as soon as you can. Don't speed, but you know, if you get a speeding fine, I'll pay for it. I'm like, all right, sweet. Um, and so I got there as soon as I could and then we were lucky enough to acquire a lot, but it wasn't, that wasn't the end of the story. For some reason, I, I just, I don't know why you had to sleep on the land for 24 or 48 hours. Um, so you had to squat. Oh, on the there land. was like a, wait, you had um, to actually s- sleep on the parcel, like camping. Yeah, correct. Tent. So not, not on that particular parcel. There was like a dedicated area where you, everyone would have to like stay there. Yeah. And this is Landcom, like they're owned by the New South Wales government. I think. It was just, they were trolling and it just went too far. Um, so literally there was all these people camped outside and they do a roll, a roll call every like two hours. I remember it was like 2 a.m. and I'm hungry and I ran to the KFC across the road and my, cause one of my, I told my, one of my friends as well saying, Hey man, I think it's a good, good opportunity. You should get in. And he texts me saying, dude, they're doing roll call. If you're not present doing roll call, they'll nominate the next person. So I'm like running across the road with my wicked wings. That's like falling as I'm like running and I'm like, crap, I hope I don't miss out. So yeah, I remember it was, it was a pretty cool vibe. Um, people just started getting out like, um, shisha and everyone was just like smoking in the land where we're all required to like sleep overnight. And so what you're saying is that Lancome, a Mm -hmm. New South Wales government agency Mm -hmm. ran essentially a prison experiment where they woke you every two hours, like some sort of psychotic horror film to make sure you were still there. And no one sued them for mental distress. That is a wild story that that actually happened and was condoned by government. Ask anyone who bought land in Minto during the initial releases <laughs> in Minto 1. They'll tell you the same You're story. You're all in a support group these days. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh um, but to pass time, me and my friends were just blasting hardstyle music in the car and we turned it into a bit of a rave. So you got your Wicked Wings and how – was that the that, that single investment which you really had to work yeah, for? Yeah, so n- numbers-wise, I think um, back then – I went halves with my brother. So I was like to my brother, Hey, I don't have enough money. I'll chip in whatever I can. Mm. You cover the rest. And then we take out what we put in and then go 50, 50. Yeah. And he's like, yep, cool. So I got the land. I think it was 215,000. Um, and it was a first home buyers grant and stuff, all that stuff for me. Um, and I think we built it for the builder charged us like two thirty. Um, and then we resold it for like, I think 700. I stayed there for a little bit to use my grants. Um, so yeah, we made quite a bit of money on that. Yeah. So that's probably how we made our first hundred thousand. Wow. And then from that, I used the deposit into another property in where we live at the moment in Macquarie Links. Mm-hmm. Um, and then sold that again, bought the house where I live at the moment. Um, so that, that, money that I made in my first investment property just really helped. Funnel everything else. Yeah. And buying something that you can afford at the time. Yeah. Which is just good advice generally, I think. We're all hung up on the dream house. But I'm curious, so you said you started Linker's Real Estate at uni. So how did you go from starting Linker's Real Estate to the full portfolio group? So consider it's a family business. So it's me, my brother, mum, dad. Mm. Um 
So dad had a really good cleaning business and driving school business that he got bored of one day. And he's like, I'm going to start a real estate business. And obviously he made me do all of these courses and assignments. So, yeah. I mean, if fair trading's listening, uh, my dad did all the courses. Classic but, immigrant um, family story I was like, <laughs> where the children have to do all the legwork. <laughs> exactly. <Been there. laughs> um, so mum and dad started the business in May 2013 and they didn't know how to use an email, use laptops, send any attachments. So I used to, I was doing uni and working at Crystal Cream, so I used to come in and help them two days a week just to do anything. They used to pile up work for me and be like, can you do this? Can you scan this? Can you just real basic stuff? And I'm like, man, how are they ever going to operate a professional services business? This is crazy. So then I told my parents, I was like, hey, can, if you can afford to pay me 100 bucks a week, um, I'll happily join the family business. And they're like, yep, done, 100 bucks a week because that's just what I needed to sustain myself at that time. So it was us three. And then my brother was working at Deloitte back then as a consultant, hating life as any big four consultant does. Um, and then we brainwashed him and convinced him to make it a full-fledged family business. Um and he did. So, and that's when the business really picked up when he was all four of us. 2013, we opened up a real estate agency. We went from, um, like, I'm not sure if you know a lot about property management. So, but basically, if you have an investment property, hire a property manager to manage the property and we take a small commission on the weekly rental income. So we went from, we basically went into the market and undercut our competitors, um, much lower sales fee, much lower property management fee. So we grew from zero to about 300 properties managed in our first three years, um, all organically. Um, and we had a, back then, we had like a 1% selling fee. So we just had a lot of business coming our way. Through that, we were using a lot of the money from the business to buy development sites and acquire land, like those stories I was telling you about. And it got to a point where uh, construction prices were starting to increase and one day we were just like you know why don't we get our builder's license and not pay these builders the margins so we worked very hard and got our builder's license um, and then last year I was like you know we get all these really qualified buyers and we have to refer them to brokers and half the time they're really unhappy with the broker and it ruins the relationship I was like to my dad why don't we just get our mortgage broker license so then we did that as well so now we offer all three. So, Rabai, basically the, the it was sort of like conglomerate behaviour, completely vertically integrate across yeah. all markets and start, <laughs> start a shop. multinational. I love <laughs> it. So now you've got the mortgage broking business. First of all, how's that going? And, you know, what? which one of the businesses had the steepest learning curve? Um, I'd say it... In terms of um, all of them, all of them has its own challenges. So I'd say real estate in terms of, because we started so young, one of the most natural challenges was dealing with clients that were much more older, um, especially the demographic that we service. Age plays a big thing. Um, I'm pretty sure it's in, in your, your culture too. So someone older, um, getting their respect, uh, especially when dealing with finance and things like that was a challenge. So, we had to be very technically sound, very skilled, very competent to, I guess, quote unquote, win them over. So age is one of them. In terms of there's always competition. So always updating your process, always updating your controls, um, always having systems in place. Those challenges. 
we're always there um, in terms of um, working with different uh, backgrounds over there in terms of understanding the different demographics and what their needs and wants are. Um, in terms of, I guess that's, that's more generic in terms of real estate. I guess the construction side would be being, you know, absorbing the technical side of things in construction again and competing with developers and builders that are much older than you and figuring out what your point of differentiation would be. Um, because you can use age against you, but for you as well. Um, we always pitched it as we have so much to prove. Uh, we haven't established our names yet. We go much, we, we stretch further. We go harder. We work smarter. Um, there's just so much growing to do. Um, and I guess in the mortgage broking side, because we're so process orientated and because we can leverage the years of experience, uh, from the real estate side, the development side, the construction side, it was a seamless integration. And because we've developed such a large clientele from the real estate businesses, from the development construction businesses, we were able to funnel a lot of them into Linkers Finance. And because my brother's, he's, he's a lot more naturally passionate in that side, um, the finance side, and I'm a lot more naturally passionate in the construction side. It works out really well because it plays to our strengths. Um, although I'm a bit quiet, I'm not saying much in the potty. Um, like obviously you, I, I spoke to you at length at Fiji and stuff. So it, my style suits development construction more. Um, my brother enjoys the, the, you know, the, the suit he's wearing and the turtlenecks and talking about data and analytics and finance and all that stuff. Whereas I like boots and jeans and a jumper top. So my, yeah. my turtleneck is just to hide the fact that I don't. <laughs> I was going to say, you're really channeling Steve Jobs there, Mish. You're giving that impression of you're going to start doing tips on TikTok for how to, how to start businesses. Yeah, we're going to do that too. But, um, I mean, this it's an amazing story. I want to do some like quick rapid fire questions with you and we'll do it. Uh, Let's do it. Rubes, you answer the first one. Mish, you answer the second one. Yeah, nice and easy. Sure. We'll make it fun. Sure. All right, Rubes, buy shares in real estate or buy real mm-hmm. estate? I'd definitely say buy real estate. Mm. Mish, spend $50,000 on a car or spend $50,000 on a wedding? Uh, me personally, $50,000 on a car for sure. Yeah, I think a lot of people <laughs> would say that. Uh, Rubes, you're 30 years old and you have enough capital for a $500,000 loan. Do you purchase mm-hmm. an apartment or do you hit mm-hmm. the brakes, keep saving and buy a house? I hit the brakes, keep saving and buy a house. Fascinating. Uh, <laughs> Mish, property in Sydney or property in Melbourne? Um, I always like to invest where I live or where I'm quite familiar with it. Mm. Um, so Sydney for me, just because it's Sydney-based. And Rubes, buy through a mortgage broker or go solo? I'd go through a broker. Uh, the education you receive, the options you have would be much better. And for the both of you, you can start with Mish. What are you reading right now? Like what is you've got all these businesses you've clearly built just through practical Mm. on the tools a huge amount of experience but where else do you get inspiration is it podcasts books what would you recommend someone starting Um, out so sadly i hate reading um i just i think i'm part of that generation that has such a short attention span and i need everything delivered to me in a short 10 second explainer video so hence i'm addicted to tiktok 
Um, to be honest, I get a lot of my knowledge from TikTok. Um, You're welcome. No. There's like even like, <laughs> um, and just through our job, because we're in real estate construction and mortgage broking, just, you know, my nine to five gives me a lot of knowledge just working in the industry. But I follow a lot of people on TikTok. Like one area that I'm really trying to boost my knowledge in is just like um, tax and accounting and things like that. My wife's a chartered accountant, so I try and learn as much as I can. So, for example, there's a good TikTok page I follow called Josh Lee, financial advisor. He really breaks down um, like tax questions and yes. really easily. So I follow him a lot. Um, so honestly, TikTok is a great tool to learn about investing property, but you do have to be careful and not buy those silly subscriptions where oh people God, are like, yep, courses. you get a 95% loan yeah. and it's just easy to get a 95% loan. Yeah. It's not like no bank will reject you if you're not servicing income. So you've got to be really careful because there's a lot of D-heads out there on TikTok. Yeah. Finding the experts, I think, is the trick. Like there's also Harry Del Tax Talk. I love him. Tax lawyer. Yeah, I know him. He's fantastic. Yeah. What about you, Rubes? Are you, um, do you read? Do you listen to podcasts? <laughs> um, so I'm a bit older than Mish, so obviously my attention span is a little bit better than his. Um, so <laughs> my- How's your my... word to PDF skills though? Oh, <laughs> uh, Yeah. Questionable. <laughs> um, my one would be different sources. Obviously, platforms like this is amazing. Um, in terms of um, one of the things I really like to do is just associate with people who's a lot smarter than you, I guess, in, in, in any facet. So I guess improving and cleaning up your network is really important and just learning from people who's been there, done that, and, and just sharing stories, sharing experience. Um, you know, you know, learning from you two, you know, just having a conversation. If I had a conversation outside this with you guys, I'm sure I could pick up a lot of things and write these down and, um, you know, action the references that you tell me and look into that. And it's like a, you know, like a snowball effect the way I do it. I love that one. I think a lot more people are really willing to offer just a chat or mentorship mm. on topics mm. that they're really passionate about if you show that you're really passionate about them as well. Yeah. Yeah, I think Especially this that's community. a good one professionally yeah. as well. Mm. Yeah. You can grow collectively. I think that's really important. Instead of seeing people as competitors, you can actually pull each other up and share. Oh. And I think that's, a that's really way better than way you know, just flexing on someone. Some of, um, some of our closest friends are builders in the same area as ours mortgage brokers in the same area as us. We service similar clients, but we learn off each other so much. There's enough business out there for everyone. Yeah. And through that, that's that's how we were able to get, you know, turnovers into seven figures now because we're able to pull each other up and overall um, you all get better for it. And I, and I, I use Joe Rogan's example because he, he does the same. He, he's got an amazing platform and he pulls up his comedian friends and gives them the spotlight that they'll never get and, they do well and the whole scene does well. So if we pull each other up because we're young, we're in that next generation, if, you know, we're, we don't, we don't have to be insecure or jealous mm. or, you know, think badly the about community people, over think, competition. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, like yeah. You shared that on your IG, I think mm. yesterday, the day before yesterday. I'm, I totally agree with that. That's so true. Yeah. Gentlemen, you have an incredible story. You have built an absolutely amazing business with your parents in the last 
you know, two or so decades. It's truly a testament to, as you've said, hard work and consistency. But it has been such a privilege of mine to have you on the pod and for you to share your stories. You're going to go from success to success. Yeah, and I'm happy that we were probably the most underwhelming guests on your podcast. No, I love it. And if people want to get in touch with the two of you or want to get in touch with Linker's group, how's the best way to talk to you? You can just jump on www.linkersgroup.info. You'll see a link to all three businesses there, Linker's Real Estate, Linker's Finance, Linker's Homes. Just send an email, get in touch, and yeah. If people really want to reach out to us. <laughs> um, we're also starting an education series on TikTok on things like we're going to break it down into real estate education series, construction education series, mortgage broken education series, and going straight to the point, not waffling around in terms of how to list a home, uh, how to select a property manager, um, in terms of what's split, what's split contract, how do you find reviews, just basic questions that people look all over we just wanted to have a one-stop shop where we can i guess empower and educate the next generation and not waffle around and not come across as we're trying to sell something like you know yeah we're trying to sell you some pdf or some book some subscription some weird andrew tate hustle style we're not we're not doing any of that stuff it's just straight okay how do i list a home here are the steps how do i find a good property manager here are the steps um you know what is the management commission what Amazing. is a drop-edge so game? TikTok and your website, people can get in touch. Make yeah. sure you pop in that you came from the Big Swinging Stocks podcast so that these boys Absolutely. know what the, the impact Absolutely. of their network has been. It's been a pleasure, boys. Thank you so much. Thank you so Thank much. You, Alex. Appreciate it.